I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Last month, people from all around the world watched as Greta Thunberg, through tears and with teeth gritted in anger, blasted politicians, entrepreneurs, adults for murdering our planet. How dare you, she cried. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We're at the beginning of mass extinction. And while this is true, it came at the same time that psychologists warned of an increasing incidence of eco-anxiety, where children are catastrophizing and ending up with mental health problems. It's something I've been hearing of from parents who are passionate about the environment and who certainly don't want to deny climate change, but also want advice on how to deal with the fine balance of acknowledging the predicament we're in, but also protecting our children. With me today, I've got Emma Gledhill, an educational speaker and teacher whose work revolves around how we as parents and teachers can best communicate with our children. Emma, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So why, I mean, have you heard about this eco-anxiety? Have you experienced, um, have you, in your experience, are children suffering from this? This isn't just a sort of Daily Mail construct. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a real thing. Um, I mean, anxiety is is a big thing in school life. Um, And it's like a many-headed hydra. It can take lots and lots of different forms, whether that's anxiety about fitting in, anxiety about friendships, anxiety about the wider world. And actually, that's what we're seeing here, um, that what, what is out there in the media, it's very much being picked up on in the conversations on the playground. And quite rightly, schools are educating young people to think about their futures so it all is part of the package really Um, young people are tuning into what's happening with the natural world they are great you know they grow to know that nature is safe and beautiful they grow with that appreciation of the beauty of nature the wonder of um, you know the animal kingdom Uh, they're very very tuned into that and so when they hear stories of that being under threat you know if you think about all the books we read to children all the illustrations um, you know stories are brought to life through that connection with the natural world and what they're seeing is that you know Part of their secure base, which is the beautiful world in which we live, is under threat. And it, you know, it, it is true that there are threats to this world. This planet is sick and we need to do more to heal it. Um, but anxiety can really 
spiral a little bit out of control without the right sort of mediation. So people like Greta, protesters, they're going to have very hard and sharp messages. And it's right that they do, because inaction has been too easy for too long. Um, But when our children hear that there are 11 years left, um, that seems like a very stark warning. And children can't sort of filter as well um, what they hear. They can't provide, you know, they can't provide themselves with that sense of a balance, uh, the counterbalancing information that we can also bring to show, you know, that just this morning as Extinction Rebellion protesters are basically taking over the centre of London, we also have announcements from enormous companies like Unilever to say we are going to reduce single-use plastic and eliminate that. Um, We have balances. Uh, Yes, there are predictions of difficulty, and yes, there are environmental disasters happening that are affecting people's lives in a very, very material way. But is it too late? It certainly is not. And so the anxiety that they may pick up on is something that we need to acknowledge and we need to validate as being something that's real and work with them, not just try and turn down the dial that, you know, you're overreacting. Um, It's just not true. I'm afraid that's just not going to wash with children these days. Yeah, Um, you can't say it's all going to be fine while the Amazon's on fire. No. And, you know, they will watch... David Attenborough, mm. you know, we, we've all done that, sat down with our seven, eight, nine-year-olds, arms around each other on the sofa, looking at, you know, amazing documentaries and then really quite stark warnings and visual reminders that actually this is real. Mm. So with the, I, I work with quite a lot of different schools um, all around the country and whereas I wouldn't say that this is an epidemic of Mm eco-anxiety. Many schools that I work with um, have experience of young people who are struggling. They're struggling um, and sometimes that can really spiral into not wanting to leave home, not wanting to come to school, being very, very fearful. Um, Do you, have you ever come across, I mean, I've heard people saying, you know, my 15 year old sees no point in carrying on education because, you know, she's like, what's the point of GCSEs? The world's going to be gone anyway in, a, you know, 11 years time. What's the <laughs> point? Yeah, quite. I mean, I remember being 15 and wondering the same thing myself. Um, Because there is a part of, you know, anxiety is normal. Children are more hardwired to experience anxiety in a more frightening way than than we do, aren't they? Yes, because childhood is a state of dependency. It's a long, long time before we can hope to be self-sufficient. So, yes, young children are wired to threat. Um, And one of the problems with this type of... This, this scenario that we're looking at is that, you know, grown-ups are actually part of the problem. So for your teenager who no longer believes in superhero mum or dad um, and no longer believes that, um, you know, the politicians are sorting it out, um, that sort of sense of helplessness and hopelessness can lead to a, a sense of despair. But I do think it is about really working with the energy that they feel, understanding 
you know, where's the sleeplessness coming from? Mm. Where do they feel, you know, how does this anxiety affect them? Is it rumination? Are they having headaches? Are these thoughts going around their heads as soon as they hit the pillow? Because those quiet times when the lights go out are times when all the monsters of the mind come out in grand style. So it is about helping them listen to their own anxiety, name the dimensions of it, where they feel it, how it feels, um, and and, and unpick that a little bit and and start to recognise that, you know, anxiety comes from our creative brain and it's there as part of our instincts for survival. Um, And our brains and our bodies do quite a good job of that, It's why we have survived at the head of the food chain for a very, very long time and adapted so well. And to really understand that anxiety needn't be a foe. It can be a signal of an energy and a strength. It's one of our most important instincts, isn't it? Absolutely. Having that sort of hardwired... Um, you know, propensity to to catastrophize. But I guess it's all about keeping it within reason because no parent wants to see their child terrified. No. Especially if we think, you know, yes, you do have to be really scared of cars coming along, you know, the road if, you don't, if you're not looking when you cross the road. But something that is a less tangible threat, like rising sea levels if you live in London, when they're thinking, well, the sea is going to come up overnight, flood our house, and we're all going to drown by morning. That is something that we don't like seeing our children experience because it's not going to happen. And then there is, I suppose, I mean, I've spoken to parents who said, who, who, who start getting a bit angry with the, you know, the campaigners and saying, yeah. come on, like, I, I get this is really important, but please don't scare my children. Is that right sentiment to have? Or, I mean, I can see that that's that natural reflex as parents who just love their children and want to protect them, but th- that's probably not the right way to deal with it. Well, it, you know, when we're intolerant of those bad feelings, we are shut, we're try, what we're trying to do is shut them down rather than work with them and work through them. So this is a golden opportunity for parents to help actually turn anxiety into something that can be verbalised, something that can be understood. Because the way our, you know, the, the way our instincts for survival work is pretty wordlessly through the amygdala, fight, flight, freeze. And freeze, in a way, is the most sort of intrusive and tricky, you know, that paralysis you mentioned of, for instance, a teenager just not wanting to go any further forward because what on earth is the point? We do need to look at the the energy behind that anxiety. We need to validate that feeling. It exists. It is real. You're we right might, to be scared. Yes, yes. And and and. and the protesters, they do have a point. But the messages, the sound bites that we pick up here and there that sound very doom laden, they are being expressed in that way in order to energise action. That's what they're, you know, if it was too late, I think, you know, they might well pack up and go home. They're on the streets shouting about it right now because there is still room for manoeuvre. Um, and it's important that they're listened to. And of course, the more that they're not listened to, 
the wilder, the more dialed up and tuned up that message needs to get. Because when people are shut down, that's that's what happens. Mm. So enabling our children to understand that you know these people are acting on an urgency and a threat. And in doing so, they're trying to create an energy, create a catalyst for change. And our children are part of that future. They are part of that change. So I think really working with them to understand the feelings that they're struggling with and how they can turn those struggles into strengths. So the feelings of hopelessness, the feelings of despair. um, Well, you know, they're not the only ones who feel that way. Quite clearly, there are people out there who are angry. There are also people out there who are creative and resourceful, who are all trying to make a difference. So as well as looking at the disaster messages, um, and I think if your young if, if your young child or teen is feeling that helplessness and is that in that sort of more frozen state, then it is time to sort of try and manage how much access they have to those disaster-driven and dramatic stories and start to look at other more resourceful and uh, other hopeful messages. You know, there are, there's the science community that's working to research and working to act on this threat. There's also the business community as well as the political community. You know, there are, there are, there are people coming together over this climate change, not just the protesters who are saying this is horrible and this is going to be out of control if we do nothing. It is still an if-then scenario, although the protesters are making it very clear that if we don't act soon, so let's be part of that. Let's be part of that coming together, recognising that you know, anxiety and fear, they're there for a reason. They're there to energise us, to make a change and to make a difference, and that you know, we can all be a part of that. Um, and to start moving into that process of thinking, what is it that we can do? Whether that's, you know, saying no to the next plastic toy or whether that's making sure that rather than putting things in the bin, we are making sure they can be reused in some way. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There are good news stories. I mean, we tend to hear the kind of apocalyptic predictions, um, partly because we hear them through the media and the media is there to 
make money Absolutely. and the more frightened we are <laughs> and the more uh, you know scary those headlines seem the more likely we are to buy a paper or switch on the radio yeah um so i suppose it's also worth just pointing that out to children you know the headlines you're going to get from greta's speech is not the whole thing and actually the whole thing is is probably you know it's definitely it's more balanced yeah. talking about what you know, has been achieved. Did you remember, I remember when I was growing up, there was the whole sort of ozone layer freak out. You know, the ozone Absolutely, layer yes. has disappeared above, I can't remember where it was, but I remember, do you remember, like not using the CFCs so you couldn't use yep. the spray deodorant. The and, and now actually, as far as I understand, a lot of our ozone layer is looking a lot more healthy because we made those changes. And our planet, a bit like the human body, you know, is robust and it is malleable and it does heal and that is something that you know they are empowered to do it's not i was i, I actually googled good news environmental mm. stories and there's actually quite a lot backed up by science by evidence you know even just looking at the plastic bag tax that we had in the uk where they started charging 5p for a plastic bag um and the reduction in plastic bags has been much more than they anticipated. Way fewer plastic bags are now in production nowadays. So little things like that are making a huge difference. It's not like it's just doom and gloom. And maybe spending a bit of time researching good news stories so that, you know, we are alarmed. But at the same time, we are reassured that a difference can be made. Absolutely. And that feeds back to being educated, being, you know, having a rounded picture. Um, what we see around us in the newspapers and on placards they're all um they're all opinions they're all um ideas they are all messages that are designed to provoke us into action particularly what we see in the newspapers as you say so helping them to digest what is opinion and find balance um to, and, and particularly if you're looking at a young person who is very anxious and very preoccupied, to find those balancing stories, what we need to do is sort of stuff in some of the good news that's around this issue um, and, and to understand how people are coming together in very creative and different ways to make a difference. And what sort of part can they play? You know, a young child may not be able to feel as though they play much part perhaps but they can very immediately start making decisions around this um, whether that's looking at how we wrap up our sandwiches in the morning and not using cling film whether that's around you know using your your flask and for them to be involved in you know cleaning that themselves the night before they're actually playing a part instead of you know buying more little bottles and cartons um for them to be deciding, you know, do we need this Amazon order? You know, the, the, the sort of very easy go-to reaction is, I'd like this, let's get online and let's buy it. Looking at the packaging that comes, thinking about environmentally friendly ways of getting about, um, you know, how, we, how we're moving from one place to another, all the delivery miles that are coming from our impulse shopping, for example. Uh, so there are lots of ways in which we can involve um, young children and older children in the dialogue about what's going on in the world, what we can do on an individual basis, what we can do as a family, and also thinking about how they can use their voice around this, whether that's in the school 
or empowering ways of sharing a message online, for example. So instead of just reading messages, they can also take part, um, obviously, with supervision and uh, and and share for instance good news how many how many plastic bottles my family avoided using this week this month this year and sort of starting to tot it up and then maybe not just my family but my class right at school exactly i was thinking about this because it's i think children like stuff to be tangible you know it's un, it's really difficult for us to say listen if we use you know two fluid plastic bottles a week that is actually over time going to look like a lot of plastic bottles and I was wondering whether you know maybe you have a jar with some pasta and every time you make a decision to walk to school or not to get that packaging or that maybe every week rather than your milk coming in a plastic bottle it arrives in a glass bottle that you mm. wash and give back to the milkman yeah. even if it does cost a little bit more and that every time you're making those decisions that mean there is less impact on the environment you're putting a piece of pasta or whatever it is in the jar right so that over time you see that jar growing and growing and growing and that makes the decisions you're making that you can't see because you're not having all this extra a little bit more tangible and they mm, can then mm. see how that sort of accumulates another idea someone said to me photo uh, uh, t- keep all the plastic you use in one week as a family photograph it and then see the next week if you can shrink that and then yeah. the next week if you shrink that again because then you've got these photos that you're comparing and you're thinking well actually we didn't really need that plastic. I mean I was the other day I my son's now writing with a fountain pen and he needed more cartridges and I went into the shop to get some and I I bought these cartridges and it came in three times as much plastic as it needed to right and I was actually in the middle of kind of researching this I thought this is ridiculous but I sort of took it to the till and I was about to pay for it and I thought you know what no I'm not going to do this so I said to them you don't have one of those ink refiller things she goes oh yes yes she dug around yes yes I do and so in the end I walked out with a glass jar of ink and a cartridge that I could refill and we talked about at school you know at home we made that little decision Mm. it was just a different way of thinking and if more of us do that if all of us who use fountain pens like no we're not we're not going to use cartridges we're going to use ink and a refillable thing they'll stop making cartridges both of those are beautiful examples because you know if if as parents we're going to be effective in working with the anxiety that our children may face whatever it is we need to tune in to what it is at first not not try and dial it down mm. say you know i i i see you and i hear you and i i i, I feel the energy behind your worry yeah and you know a lot of what you're thinking makes absolute sense but let's let's do something about it what can we do and absolutely making it manifest making it you know make of course you know we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we have made some difference and if everybody is doing something over time it will start to change the world but what we're showing them is that actually we can take those worries and we can share those worries and we can move from sharing something that was private and individual and worrying and disempowering into something that is happening, a happening between mm. us that is going to shift mm. the waste in the world. Mm. And it's going to shift our feelings of helplessness mm. because the more people who are actually advocates for you know, just one thing, just one tweak, just another mm. change, all of those tweaks do matter. So I think, I, I, I think, for families to come together and be creative 
to look online for other tips and action points. Um, Think about how we can add variety to what we can do in our own lifestyles. And also to use the school community and for them to feel a part of a wider community, how they can find a voice in society. We have the role models of people like Greta and Malala who have used their voices in order to get their messages heard. And actually, for once, those teenage voices are getting a really positive recognition. There is something very powerful and empowering and moving about that. So it is a gift, I think, for us to show our children that they they matter and their engagement with the world it matters mm. that it's it's for them now and for them in the future and also it's for us to come alongside them and to help work with that energy and turn what seems like a struggle an insurmountable struggle into something that can become you know actually a strength a responsibility an empathy a creativity a resourcefulness a collaboration absolutely it's interesting i like that idea of turning your anxiety into something that's really productive because actually if you look at greta you look at malala you look at these people they're all blimming scared and yet they've thought right what am i going to do with my fear what am yes. i going to do with the energy that has you know as a result of this fear i'm going to use it as a power for good and look what those two girls have done amazing right amazing amazing things so we almost need to say you know use them as an inspiration I know you're feeling scared and I understand why you're feeling scared but instead of hiding away in your room and refusing to go to school let's use that anxiety and actually make a difference Mm. and it's almost like that sort of energy exporting it into something that will be productive as opposed to something that will just eat you up from the inside yes something that is productive something that is informed in a balanced way um Actually, it can be very educative and very empowering on so many levels. So yes, it is about you know turning what might feel like a super struggle into what could be a super strength. Because we've got ethics, morality in there. We've got a lot to celebrate. But when we when when we turn the dial down and try to shut down anxiety it doesn't go away, it stays and it grows in secret. There's nothing anxiety likes more than that sort of privacy and secrecy. That's when those spiralling thoughts of catastrophization can really get out of control. So you won't be able to talk your child out of it, tell them out of it. Or ignore them out of it. No, no. Um, So the more we get alongside and work with it, they will learn that their fears and anxieties that they should listen to them and they should find what what's the message and learn to work with others to Mm. get support you know when we stand together we are far far stronger than when we're alone even if we're children even if we're children you know if if a person is looking at a mountain and is standing next to a stranger just three feet away they see the gradient of that mountain as being less So when we are with people who listen to us, who are able to empathise with us, who are able to validate our our feelings and our fears. Now, all these feelings, they're right, actually. Um, They mustn't be told that they're wrong to feel these things because they do. And that's a fact. So let's work with it and let's, let's be creative and let's also be real. 
Mm. Because that's the other thing, you know, anxiety works on fiction Mm. and, you know, you can't just tell some glib magical story that, that, you know, it will all come out in the wash. We actually need to um, gen up on the knowledge. One of the um, things I remember feeling most scared about as a child was helplessness because I was a child, because I had a little voice and that frustration. Do you remember that frustration when you felt you were, no one was listening to you? Yes. And so I think, you know, talking to your children, obviously, if we don't listen to them, if we don't acknowledge that they're feeling anxious and the reasons for it, then we're basically doing exactly what Greta is getting really annoyed about, you know, listen to us. Um, but also, I think the other thing that's potentially scary is they're getting all this doomsday predictions and yet they think there's nothing I can do about it because Donald Trump's not listening so that's it we're you know that's it um and I think one of the things that is really empowering for children is the understanding that they are very powerful because they're consumers you know children are massive consumers Mm. oh gosh and consumers although they don't necessarily feel like it have tremendous power because ultimately people are providing what the consumers want so if as a consumer you say right i'm not going to buy something that's packaged in plastic however much i want it as long as i don't absolutely need it and it's not a drug that's going to keep me alive that can't Mm. be delivered in any other way but in all the things where i can think i'm going to choose not plastic that will force the consumers into making a difference. I was talking about this to my son the other day with Lego and, you know, he's obsessed with Lego, which is all plastic. Absolutely, and, you know, yeah. I, I think there are some, you know, children where hypocrisy needs to be pointed out to them. You know, they're saying, well, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> never going to go on a family holiday again and I'm, I don't want to take a plane and I'm never going to eat any meat, even though I'm growing and I probably do need that protein. But, you know, they're glibly getting loads more lego because they really want that and just just sort of thinking with them well actually there's quite a lot of plastic here if every child in the in in the world said you know what we're going to boycott this these toys until they're delivered in a more sustainable way they don't have all that packaging until you know this will force the disruptors within that industry to say well okay an alternative plastic doesn't exist but our company is going to go bust unless we think of a way that's more sustainable and actually we don't have till 2025 to to find out we kind of need to do it by next Mm. year that's going to force them into change and so children do have power they just need to understand how how that power can be manifested and i think that sort of idea of giving them uh, their sort of little micro moments of power mm. as consumers is really important and you can consolidate that by uh, helping them or encouraging them or inspiring them to to write about it because they can write to the manufacturer they can write to the um, you know consume you, you know the customer services they can they can make their voice heard and um they might not always get answers, but it consolidates the sense of purpose. So we're moving from that paralysis. You know, if you think about, um, you know, those three sort of primitive amygdala-driven responses to threat, fight, flight, freeze. We can't fly from this planet. There's no planet B, as they say. So, and we can't just put our heads in the sand but we can fight and so when we consolidate those uh consolidate and celebrate those moments of um, a wise decision an ethical decision a creative path taken rather than a convenient path taken when when we make manifest the small differences that we're making 
but also thinking about how we as individuals can also be influencers on a larger scale, um, how we can post opinions, how we can, you know, I don't know, a family Instagram account where we start you know, actually celebrating and sharing that or writing to manufacturers or writing to Amazon about their packaging, mm. for example. Um, you know, we start to build that up. We start to look at, OK, this supermarket and this supermarket, they're changing their packaging. So we can go there with Tupperware instead, for example. So they see those choices. They can see that they're part of a dynamic and changing whole where people are coming together for good. Mm. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's not just toys, is it? You know, my daughter, she loves pens. And when I think about the sort of tsunami of felt pens and biros and uh, all sorts of stuff that wash over the household, just starting and continuing that dialogue of, um, you know, do we need it? Do we already have this available? Um, and being really responsible consumers, it's a very important thing. I think that is a, such a powerful idea. I grew up um, very close to my grandmother, who was a kind of grew up in the during the Second World War, and she lived a very, very different life to what we live now. You know, she'd buy the amount of food she needed, and she'd made sure she eat, ate it all. There was nothing at the end of the, you know, by the time she did another shop. There was. Um, <laughs> um, if, if a piece of clothing, you know, if she had a coat, she didn't need another coat, you know, and if that coat got a tear in it, rather than thinking, I'll just chuck it away and buy another one, she'd mend it. There was a whole generation who really valued what they had and made things last. And I think that, you know, with the advent of Amazon and how easy it is to buy stuff, A, it's all got cheaper. B, it's got, you know, I don't have to go to the shops anymore. You just click a button on your app and you're credit cards already plugged in it doesn't even feel like spending money so as soon yeah. as a little thing breaks you know I'll just buy a new one you know the, the peeler's Absolutely. broken and most people wouldn't think about mending it but maybe we just need to pull it all back and go actually do we need do we really need another potato peeler I know that one's broken but could we not get some glue and stick it together and at least see if we can do it and pass that on to our children because I have those really strong memories from my grandmother but my children never knew her they've grown up mm. literally in the in the in the age of a mobile phone and the amazon app where literally everything is delivered to your door and that's sort of the idea of focusing on what you need rather than what you want i think again is a really powerful thing because we've all become we've become so greedy and lazy yeah i think that's true and i think uh you know in, if we think about children's play um play is something that is very the essence of creativity and resourcefulness. And if something is broken, how can it still be of use? You know, just because it might not do exactly what it did when it came out of the box, does it really mean it's redundant? And and yeah, that that's it, it's about restraint, isn't it? Mm. It's about res restraint and, and opting for something that perhaps might take a little bit of time and a little bit of research, a little bit of energy to um, put right mm. rather than auto, being on autopilot and replacing it because, just because we can. And, and as I say, you know, a culture comes, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of micro moves that we make every day, every day as families, every day as societies. And how we model that as parents is a very powerful thing. Um, 
and I'm all for having slightly less coming into the coming into the house. And in fact, if we look at um, the sort of slow parenting movement, where they're looking at the ways in which sometimes too much really is too much. You know, there's a child's bedroom. If you look at a child's bedroom, how to choose what to play with, um, how to find and remember what you have in the archive of, you know, all of the uh, the plastic, the metal, the shrapnel, the the bits, the pieces, the kits, um, all stuffed away on shelves in boxes, etc. Really keeping things simple. Um, and so that their imagination is used to invent a game rather than reading the instructions. Absolutely. And and play is a very powerful way of, you know, for young people to work through anxiety as well. So, for example... Um, I mean, there's play therapy, isn't there? It's used yes. as a, you know, form of, you know, therapy for young, young yes. people. So, for example, if a young child, you know, sometimes these fears are too big to actually articulate... But maybe, um, you know, your child can be encouraged to show you with their animals what's going on um, in, through their play. Mm. Um, we can use what we have in terms of the, the, you know, the toys that already exist, use them in many more creative ways than we do uh, at the moment. Um, but certainly that idea of, uh, you know, if they have a wise owl, toy mm. or um you know top teddy mm. what would they say what would they do you know um or to turn that on its head say one of the little toys one of the little teddies is fearful how would you you know and ask your child how would you reassure little lamb that you know things will get better mm. that that we're working to heal the planet and so looking at the way our children play as a way in which they can often communicate both their fears and also their hopes and their hopeful messages. Um, and also to start opening up a dialogue that might be actually quite hard to initiate because it's very, say, very hard to yeah. express. Um, you know, those, those fears of mm. those fears and threats, they're very powerful memories that particularly in young children are laid down and stored in a very powerful memory that shapes their development um you know what we're going to avoid and what we're going to approach and so the more we can enable talking expression and communication around what makes us fearful what what is destabilizing once we can get it out there we can work with it because it's just not as simple as sitting down with your child, your eight-year-old, and going, talk to me about your anxieties around the climate. I mean, they're not going to go, oh, well. So it all starts, I mean, they just don't communicate like exactly. that. But I wonder whether, you know, even if you've got worries about your child, you say, listen, why don't we do the shop together? We'll sit down on, you know, most people do their online shop once a week. And let's, let's do it together. And let's make choices about what we're going to eat. And let's make decisions based on the environmental impact, whether it's the where it comes from, whether it's how it's delivered, whether it's, you know, in what bottle it's delivered in, mm. whether it's, you know, what kind of milk, is it oat milk, or is it cow's milk, or is it whatever it is. And then you're that's initiating a conversation, what can we do? Yeah. to make sure that we're behaving responsibly and then talk to your friends actually I had really fun you know doing the the shop on with my mum yesterday and I realized actually 
we probably would normally have bought 10 extra plastic bottles, but that's 10 extra ones that we didn't right. buy. And it, that <laughs> just does give them the power, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think also, um, you know, real life shopping as well. Mm. Um, when we actually go to the supermarket and even in, in urban environments, this is this is very easy to do in a bite-sized way. Now we've got these sort of Tesco Expresses, etc., and micro Sainsburys all over the place. You know, to to nip out together and take something off the shelf and look where did where did this vegetable come from? Guatemala. Does that sound English? Does that sound European? Where where is that? Uh, and you can get on Google Maps and you can work it out. How do you think that got here? Um, and, and so we can open out that sort of sense of, you know, a very concrete understanding of where things come from, what their provenance is, what the carbon footprint associated with that is going to be. And so how did it yeah. get here from Guatemala? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we unpick that and unpack that and we say, OK, we maybe say no to that. Let's see what didn't take a plane journey or a journey on and it's the not like they can never have that thing again i mean my daughter she loves raspberries and she's like mommy why can't we have raspberries i'm like well it's october raspberries don't grow in the uk in october and it never occurred to her, because raspberries are available oh all year round it never occurred to her that it, you can't have ros- raspberries during us we'll have them when they're grown here but I'm afraid we're not going to export, you know, import these hugely <laughs> fragile things when we have them best for two months in the summer. Mm. And yet I remember growing up with you had your raspberries in the summer. No one had raspberries in January. <laughs> and yet this is a generation of children who've never actually had that. So it's almost like pulling them back and saying, let's think about where these are coming from and sort of introduce the idea that about seasonal eating. Yeah. And I think it's acknowledging that if the world is going to heal, mm. we have to tune into the world and its natural seasons, you know, the climate that we're in mm. and, you know, what the consequences of, of that are, mm. whether that's saying no to raspberries or being at a point of choice about it, that if we are going to have raspberries, then it's not going to be something that's part of the weekly shop, but it's going to be an informed choice. Mm. And with that informed choice comes a sense of agency, and it takes us back to that connection with how can we act and how can we make the change? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it is always, it has always been the fact that the younger generation is the catalyst for change, whether that's the birth of rock and roll or, you know, the the many ways in which, you know, the internet and the use of the internet has just been revolutionised through youth culture a lot of a lot of the time that's such an empowering sentiment that the catalyst of change has always been driven by the youth and i think that is something that we do need to tell our children a bit more because you do you feel so disempowered as a child i think so often you think people are making decisions without you and that aren't necessarily mm. in your best interest and historically that's absolutely true you just can't deny that and also to make them a little bit more empathic about what they're saying around other people from time to time you know I remember in in the 80s when I was at school I'd really gone for it learning about the Falklands war and uh, I was on the playground cheerfully predicting a nuclear Armageddon Um, you know uh, uh, and obviously my empathy radar was not actually tuned in at all it took the headmistress asking my parents to come in to ask me to dial down the politics on the <laughs> playground <laughs> you know um so that they're aware mm. 
that you know younger siblings peers around them we we need to be careful how we share these messages and also that because we're making powerful decisions we should try to involve other people and engage other people but not by shaming them mm-hmm. or, or making them, them feel guilty or frightened um if we're acting out of love and concern and compassion for the planet and for our future selves and our future families, then 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 that is how we want to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and people might make bad decisions. Uh, then we can inform them and work with them. Mm. Uh, and hopefully, together as a family, we will find really secure and helpful and empowering ways to do that. Do you think we should be allowing our children to march? Well, the teacher in me thinks about every day at school that cannot possibly be replaced. This is why you're a very interesting person to ask this question to, as a parent and as a teacher. Certainly as as a teacher, as a school governor, um, you know, the focus on attendance data is, you know, it is there because it's a really, really important factor. Um, when you're not at school, you're not getting the input from the teachers and it, it can't easily be replaced. On the other hand, I think that where we have that power and passion of the teenage brain, we should enable it to have a valve and an outlet. And... I think it's about making sure that parents are having a dialogue about what's proportionate and what's targeted. You know, my daughter became an eco-counsellor at the start of this academic year. They had a hustings and she has, you know, had a surge now of a feeling of empowerment and engagement. She's been reading Greta and she has been asking me about going on, on marches. And... You know, I would love for her to be able to bear witness in a safe and, um, you know, proportionate way to the power and empowerment that these protests can can bring. Mm. But too much of it is going to be detrimental. And also too much of it could also feed into that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Because whereas an adult has a sense that it's going to take time a young person who you know fights to give up days of school to do this and then is met by you know a little bit of press coverage and then you know some political apathy while you know while preoccupation with brexit takes hold um it, it it's mm. really tricky because then you've got you're back to dis- disillusionment and disempowerment and also that you know they won't let me make a difference you know, this, this kind of feeling of them and us. And, mm. you know, here I am. My mother has acknowledged why I'm feeling scared and anxious, but she won't let me go march. Um, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a really tough decision. I suppose it's all about, like you said, the quantity. And it's one thing to march once or twice a year, but once or twice a week is just too much. What and are I, you going to achieve? You know, I think schools are, are right in a way that if there is going to be time away from school, whether that's for... Um, you know, a family holiday that somehow needs to be crowbarred into a very difficult year, for example, that it is about having dialogue between the family and the school 
Um, and, and there's a sort of moderation and mediation. And again, for the young person to be a part of that. Mm. So they're part of maybe an application and an expression around that. And, and they may be told no. Uh, and that may be something that, you know, the family needs to process a little bit. But it is all about processing these struggles understanding them processing them understanding both sides of the picture here um and and you know actually a parent's legal responsibility is school attendance as mm-hmm. well and a school has a safeguarding responsibility to protect that child's education and make sure that their attendance is you know is good um so it, it, it's a hard one, but I, I would say that um, making sure that perhaps there may be a benefit in attending a march, but it has to be something that's only going to be a very intermittent thing. Mm. Uh, and I guess and it needs to be thought about in terms of yeah. safety and security as well, because with with mass gatherings there is not necessarily that sense of control. And just because these people are as passionate as you about the climate doesn't mean that it it might not be quite scary to be involved in a large crowd with people being very angry and acting acting on anger. Mm. Um, that could be quite overwhelming too. Mm. So it is important for parents to think very carefully about how far you go with that sort of active, protesting, political engagement. Thankfully, there are many, many ways in which our children can actively engage with that fight and that struggle. Yeah. And um, I know that often we talk about the um, you know, access to online stuff as being very much an enemy of children's well-being, but it can also, used to the good, be a powerful means for them to join in a communication, to join in a protest, to join in, you know, creating a groundswell of opinion and concern that will be heard and maybe the schools rather than saying no you can't go we're not going to authorize it instead they say okay but how about i might have a better idea here you know these people are going to be marching but instead of marching what we're going to do is we're going to spend the day focusing on what we can do Mm. for the environment so in our maths lesson we're going to look at the statistics and we're going to look at you know if we did all stop using 20% less plastic how does that look and in our geography we're going to understand the impact that plastic is having on our oceans and in history let's research you know situations where change was driven by young people and so instead of saying no let's just going to focus on trigonometry today and we're going to ignore the sort of climate change protesters and, and make everyone feel short changed that instead they say we acknowledge the feeling that you have that we need to do something about this and we are on your side but we don't actually necessarily feel that you're going along to march is going to make as big a difference as we potentially could if we had a day in school being really proactive about what we're going to do and collaborating and sharing opinions and problem solving together Together. Mm. surely that there is a sort of a hybrid of kind of we Absolutely. get i mean i think in the same way that a family is a microcosm of society so is a school mm. and when there is that sort of groundswell of passion and opinion um you know schools are increasingly democ you know little democracies with school councils you know the school where i'm a governor charles dickens primary school we have a school council we have an eco committee um and when it came to this question of uh, protesting uh, in september 
what the school chose to do was incredibly empowering. There was um, a demonstration that all the children in uh, from sort of year four upwards took part in, where they marched around a local park uh, on local streets because one of the pressing issues for our school is that we're right in central London and emissions are very high. So they were able to target one part of this, be very much more thoughtful about emissions, cars, journeys, um, you know, the diesel effect, idling. And so, so they were able to do something that was quite meaningful and quite meaningful for their area. Um, and, And that was a very creative way in which that groundswell of opinion and feeling was given a meaningful sense of purpose and direction and without sacrificing the sense of the school as a community as well. Um, so I think, I, you know, I, I think there are creative ways in which families and schools and the wider world can be thoughtful um, about responding to what our children are thinking and feeling. Uh, and I think we'll be stronger as a result of it. Well, I think that's a very positive note to end on. I feel like we start. I started this off feeling a bit helpless and and thinking, well, how on earth can this be resolved? But actually, the more I think about it, the more I realise it's an opportunity to empower our children and get their creative juices flowing when it comes to problem solving. And often, they have the most amazing ideas that we hadn't even thought about. And it's about being able to teaching them how to express that. And I suppose also modelling and teaching them how to deal with more difficult situations which they're going to experience in life. For sure. Emma, thank you so much for for joining me today. Um, For more information about what Emma does, uh, talks that she does at school and coaching for families, you can look at her website. It's it's emmagledhill.com. Is that right? That's right. Um, G-L-E-A-D-H-I-L-L. Thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. It really does help boost our listener figures. Um, You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Emma and me, Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.